Welcome everyone to the 94th episode of the New Gen Mindset Podcast. I'm Dan Kozell here with Nick Tartaglia. Nick, you struggling there, man? You got your volume set up or just trying to get into the swing of things into the weekend? What's going on, man? <laughs> we're good. We're good. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, the weather is not that good anymore. So summer's over. And uh, with that precursor, oil prices are back up here in Canada. Yeah. So people are starting to complain again about prices going up. Um which is kind of a relevant kind of a little a theme on what we might t- discuss a little later too. Um, you know, and the world is still uh, doing what we said would do, just being chaotic and uh, things are changing by the day. Yeah, and I think there's been more uh, alliances formed in the last, I would say, 20 months than we've probably ever yeah. seen in history. And it's causing some some pretty important shifts in, in the market. Um, we wanted to bring somebody on here who I've been following, you know, for a couple couple of years now. He's been really active on Twitter Spaces, talking about this whole geopolitical stuff with BRICS blockchain. Um, he's obviously invested in that space too. Um, and um, listen, we wanted to bring him on, have a conversation, just see where his thoughts were. Um, so, you know, without further ado, this this gentleman was born in Lake Charles. Louisiana and graduated McNeese University, where he studied economics, Um, started his career uh, in the natural gas space, uh, interestingly enough. And um, that career took him to a company called Dynagy. And I apologize if I mispronounced that. He became the president and CEO of Dynagy Europe, uh, spent a great amount of time just in the workings of natural gas and just understanding what, uh, you know, the, the, the energy markets would unfold. He retired at age 41, then co-founded another company more on the tech side called the Global Risk Technologies, uh, where he uh, was supporting a lot of tech startups. One of them was uh, Chargeback 911, which was a company uh, aimed at combating fraudulent chargebacks. And now he has slowly started to invest in Bitcoin back in 2016. Um, sparked a massive interest in the blockchain and digital asset technology. And he's invested and he currently sits as the chairman of the board uh, for this company called Node40. Uh, he's in Lake, uh, he's actually in St. Pete, Florida, I should say. Um, welcome to the New Gen Mindset Podcast, Gary Cardone. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Good to be here. And uh, unlike Nick, uh, we still have summer down here in St. Pete. <laughs> uh, I was up in Connecticut, D.C. this week, and uh, you're starting to see that, you know, the trees want to turn. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, y'all are going to get the rain and we're going to get the nice dry sun weather. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's starting to kick in here. Exactly. It's getting chilly right now. It feels like us. Uh, feels exactly like autumn is about to kick in soon. Yeah, well, that's good. You know, all things change. I mean, I, I think that's what we need. I've learned from markets that we always go through cycles. Of course, so. that's that's the nature of life, you know, death and life and, you know, booms and busts and societies get built, they fall. It's, right. uh, it, it's how life evolves and adapts, you know? Yeah. So, um, Gary, to begin usually our podcast, we always like to kind of get like a little sense of the background and the history of, our, of the person we bring on. So just, you know, Tell us a little about the way your 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 how can I say this uh, the last you know forty years of your life how you grew up uh, the schools you went to or you know what shaped you what what industries you got involved with and just how you got to this point in your time. Yeah, um, it is a uh, it's been a, a bizarre story. Uh, it's been a really interesting journey. I I I've, um. Look, uh, Dan talked about McNeese State University. You know, he could barely pronounce it because, like, nobody's even heard of that college. I, my brother and I, uh, Lake Charles, Louisiana, I think there was 85,000 people there. Um, 
And I left there as soon as I possibly could right out of college. Uh, spent four years really f grossly frustrated in college. Uh, if they were, had they been prescribing all the pharmaceuticals they prescribed today, my brother and I would have both been just, you know, well, my mom probably wouldn't allowed it, but they would have smashed us with drugs because we were both so frustrated in school. Uh, I just felt like, my goodness, man, like I'm going to spend the rest of my life doing this kind of stuff. It just seems so boring um, and could not wait to get into business because I figured that was where the men were. Uh, my dad died when I was really young, nine, about nine years old. He was a stock trader. Uh, he's probably a stockbroker, right? He just talked people into buying IBM when it was 12 cents. And uh, extremely personable human being. Everyone loved my father. He, he loved people. Um, and I remember seeing this little ticker tape. You guys are probably too young. Uh, but ticker tape coming out of this thing, you know, IBM stock, and it showed a price. And... I find it really amazing. I was in his office once. Uh, he read the Wall Street Journal every day. These were images that, I, that impinged on me as a young boy. Uh, he died uh, in, in a hospital. I never even said goodbye to him. Uh, those were the only members that I had. And then my first job would be trading the most violent commodities in the world. Okay, Like these Bitcoin people, oh, your Bitcoin's <laughs> violent. Like, dude. Bitcoin has no volatility compared to power. Okay. Power is violent. Mm -hmm. Natural gas has made more widows than any other commodity in the world. And I know two guys in the world that have ever made money long-term trading crude oil. These are really complex products. That's why my confidence in this space is overwhelming to the legacy players because the, the leg the older legacy player like i sat down two days ago with an extremely wealthy family out of canvas big 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 real estate holdings and they're they're set 73 years old dad is and i think the son is 55 i'm in between them and uh, guess what they're moving into boys bitcoin mining right and this guy's so jacked up and his dad's jacked up more than the 50-year-old. Why? Because his dad's seen this game before. He knows. So the really older guys, right, that really spend any energy on this and know how to read, that is the one, the one flag that I would say to any investor. The only thing you need to do is look at two things. All of the documentation that's come out of the U.S. Department, the uh, Secretary of Treasury, the secretary of the SEC, uh, the most influential financial human being on planet Earth, Larry Fink, all of these people are saying the same thing. And when I mean same thing, I mean they are reading from the same script that someone gave them. If everybody would just start paying attention, okay, they said Digital assets, they actually included a bigger bucket than I would have included. They said digital assets is sustainable asset class, a word. Asset class is a word. Once you tell super rich people that, and once you tell a pension this is an asset class, that means that McKinsey and all the top four accounting firms have all told institutions and governments as long as a year ago, this is an asset class. It's not going away. Wake up. So 
two weeks ago, we had the Treasury Department release a 900-page document on how you will be responsible and anyone that serves you will be responsible for reporting, auditing, uh, financial context on your taxable events through digital assets in the United States. 900 pages. Not any of you guys have read it. Okay, shame on you. I got a 300-page abridged version if you want to read that one. But the most important thing is, do you think they started that last weekend? No. No, no dude, 900 pages, okay? They started this months ago, months. They have blessed this space. That They have said it is sustainable asset class. And further, Larry Fink went on to say, and it's not a U.S. product. There's nothing we can do to stop this. It's an international product. We have to be competitive. So red, green flag, green flag. Then FASB rules come out. IRS sends FASB rules out thanks to Sailor and says, hey, you don't have to do the lowest price on Bitcoin for your corporate reporting. We're going to go to mark to market like we used to on other commodities. Okay, so now people are going to be, we're being given clarity. Now, you don't spend time developing a 900-page document and time with the IRS doing the, fat, redoing the FASB rules and have Larry Fink come out and go, hey, we're launching an ETF. And then seven of the other seven renew theirs. Unless we're going somewhere very eminently, very, very eminently. Um, every wealthy family is going to look at this as a blessing. And once it's called an asset class, the pension funds will most certainly move here. So you have the ETF coming in. That's going to be very important for the pension funds because they're not going to hold Bitcoin. Like there's a whole group of people, Mr. Maxis, okay, that cannot hold Bitcoin in all, their own wallet. Like the stuff that some of these people preach, it's like, oh my goodness, maybe in 30 years, okay? Like if I read the white paper, I'm thinking in the year 2070. I'm not thinking 2024, the maxis are acting like this is all going to happen in 2024, right? I mean, you know, I see a girl that I like. I don't go, hey, look, fine, let's go, let's go sleep together and have babies tonight, <laughs> okay? And by the way, you're going to go to the Cardone religious camp, and uh, we're going to create this tribe together that's all like freedom and naked, and we're all dropping acid every day in love and peace, right? Now, maybe we get there in 10 years after the first date, but God, could we please just have a date first, right? E let people ease into this space and mm -hmm. don't make them wrong for, uh, you know, playing with some of these other products. I don't think people are just going to move their entire plastic equity positions, real estate positions, uh, commodity positions, homes, and U.S. dollars and sterling go, I'm a Bitcoiner now, right? Like, Show me when you don't use any of the old old tools and, and then you can like become religious, but it's just not real. That that is a scalable solution. Mm -hmm. It took Visa and MasterCard 52 years to get everyone to have a credit card in their pocket. 52 years. So that's scaling is a problem, right? It's not easy to scale, especially when you're talking about a really complicated product, a uh, 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 subject like money and currency. Knock it off, dude. Right. It's just not easy. So um, I'm, I'm very excited, man. I, I, so, so just to give you some background, mm -hmm. I went to work first. I've only ever worked for startups. I worked for a big company when I was 25. I wanted to shoot myself. Uh, the, the, the offices were beautiful. The 401k was going to be great. I was making 70 grand a year at 26 years old. Uh, 
I thought I was like overpaid by twice, by the way. That was a lot. That was a lot back back then, then, right? Dude, that was real, like real money. I made, I think I cashed out $27 million in in 1999 or something. That That was like, that was like near like $100 million, right? Mm. And, and, um, you know, not a fancy education, but I, one, knew to go work for this company. It's one of the things that I always try to share with younger people is I believe that I have always had a unique gift and my only role in life was to find it. My only job in life was to find this unique skill. I knew it was not sitting in a classroom, listening to some lady. Um, I think a lot of people could share that, um, that, that, that uh, lesson that you know, yeah. school is, it, it's my, it, it's a small reflection of life. Yeah. My, my school started the moment I went into the workforce and, and I have had the greatest education uh, I, I couldn't have paid $10 million for this education. I would have gone to work for these two men for free. When I was making 70 at 26 years old, I walked into the interview going, I am not walking out of this fucking room without a job. And I would literally have gone to work for free. And I would tell everyone right now, if you're negotiating your salary and you're interviewing with somebody that offers you a platform to flex your muscle, dude, this is no longer about money. It's about your life. And so we will see then that and I, I'm a C student man, on a good day. Okay. I probably tried to pay an accounting teacher to give me a grade. So um, look, 6% of the planet are outlying type people. Okay. I'm one of them. I'm one of these guys that, you know, if too many people like me and it's too comfy, I think I'm going down the wrong path. Okay. So I have the, one of these postulates that says if everyone's doing something i'm not going to that party okay uh if you ever drive with me you'll notice i never get in a line like i i will just stop i won't get in the line and i'm going to cut around them uh and i learned a long time ago that lots of people like standing in queues it's safe there uh it's very safe in the queue and, and the problem is there's not a lot upside in the queue uh, so I've lived in this this area where I'm going to go cut. I might get a couple of tickets. Um, I might even get in a wreck, but I'm not going to sit in line. And it's always just been in my character well, going to work for these people. I mean, there was 12 people at this company, man. And people were looked at me like, dude, you're stupid. OK, like you. Uh, how could you? They said that to me for 20 years that I can't believe you work for that company. Uh Two and a half years into that job, I realized that all my bosses were exactly my age. And I'm like, shit, I got nowhere to go. Put my hand up and said, I actually did some writing. I said, hey, how do I deal with this problem? All my bosses are my, there was eight of them. Uh, You know, I just came in at the wrong, you know, one week too late. And uh, I said, well, the way to do it is to build an energy company somewhere else under their banner wrote it down, told my wife at the time, I said, Hey, uh, I'm going to run an energy company in Europe one day. I have no clue how I wrote this dude. It just flowed out of my hands. I looked at it and went, I need to cut my arm off. Uh, three weeks later, British gas would buy 25% of our company that next day. Hey, Steve, I want to go to England. dude. I want to go to England and and work on Brit. Let me go help British gas. They laughed at me. They're like, dude, your accent and your attitude, your random 
way of thinking? No freaking chance. Well, th- we had 600 people at the time. So we went from 12 to 600 in a very short period of time. Morgan Stanley sold their interest to British Gas. British Gas bought us because they're sitting here going, whoa, these people just fucked up the American nat gas market. Something fierce, right? They're literally changing the dynamics between ExxonMobil and Dow Kim. Okay, like we stepped in the middle, made all the pipes open access, and this cartel-type structure where pricing didn't really speak to each other. See, that's what happens when markets are managed and they're not fluent. They're not supply and demand aren't speaking to each other. They're muffled. There's always a duopoly construct or an oligopoly construct or a monopoly construct at play that is distorting supply and demand. And as a capitalist, I believe in supply and demand. Mm. So now I begin to learn that everywhere where I see opaqueness, I know there is evil. And by evil, I mean there is a monopoly construct in place that is not allowing an efficient marketplace. Because by definition, monopolies do not know how to compete. They don't have to. And if humans don't have to do something, they're not going to do something. So we had to put a lot of pressure on the market by trading behind our deregulatory thesis, which was let's open the market up. Markets work really well when prices speak to each other. They laugh at me. They go to 599 of the other employees and nobody. Americans are punks, okay? I mean, total <laughs> punks. At the time, there were 17% of the people in America owned a passport. And when I say punks, they just don't try risk, right? Americans don't leave America, and they don't leave the company when it's, when it's exploding. For me, I was like, dude, I need a platform where I can shine. Uh, this company like is not using me at the greatest ability because it's getting really big. And they're, they're telling me, Hey, you know, you can't wear shorts to work. And I'm like, bro, I'm throwing $3 billion revenue around. I can wear anything I freaking want. <laughs> like it didn't make any sense to me that my dress code was affecting my, my performance. And by the way, I wasn't going to dinner, you know, with somebody. So um, they give me the job to England, of course, because nobody would go. I went there on the premise, did the best piece of work I've ever done in my life, wrote a 100-page white paper to British Gas, and the thesis was how to take over the entirety of the European energy markets, that nat gas in power. The thesis, I'm 31, man, writing a paper to the biggest oil and gas, biggest monopoly in oil and gas in Europe. What year was this, by the way? This was 1992. Does that white paper still exist? No, I gave it oh. to them. They they trashed it. <laughs> I, I just want to make, uh, but before you continue, I just want to make a historical point here. This was during the collapse of the Soviet Union, where Russia became eventually the biggest producer of natural gas in Europe. But go go ahead, Gary. Yeah. Um, so I go over there on a six-month assignment. This is a... I try to teach people some of the mistakes I've made in my life, and Every now and then, if I made a really good decision, I share that with them so that people remember, oh, wow, that guy did that. When I went over there, a guy named David Feldman, who was really a beautiful boss for me, he was a highly analytical gentleman, uh, non-emotional at all. He's just a really good guy to, hey, Gary, you know, you're a good guy. But I was immature. I was young. I was 28, right? Um, 
they were really concerned about sending me there because British Gas had just bought us. And I was, a, I'm a lot when I'm interested in something and I know like I can be a lot. I do understand that. And as companies grow, you know, the behavior uh, changes a bit. You, you know, you can't be as crazy as you might, might've once been as creative. I go there. Little do they know after talking to Dave, I said, Dave, you know, this company, this company, once I walk out the door and I get on that plane, they're going to forget my ass. Dude. They're totally, he, and cause I've done some research. Americans do really bad on reinstating employees that leave. So I went there and I told him, I said, I ain't never coming back. Dude. One, this is a one way ticket. Cause I don't believe you guys will ever bring me back in the fold. You're going to replace me. That guy's going to make bonuses. He's going to have a position. Y'all are going to forget me, okay? And you're just going to remember the bad things about me. So I literally burned the bridge. I had no intention of ever coming back. And I didn't. I stayed there 10 years, dude. I went there on a six-month assignment, came back 2002, rich, wealthier than all the other people that never moved, built two monster companies. And I'm not bragging. This is just facts. I literally got with this funky accent. I got embedded with the regulators off gym, off gas. Callum McCarthy was the head of the energy minister was the head of uh, energy regulation in, in the entire UK. Dr. Eileen Marshall was the head of off gym. She looked like Margaret Thatcher carried a purse. She was very, very cool lady, but you would never have put us together but I brought tremendous value to her. And the value was she had all these electric electric utility CEOs talking all this mumbo jumbo <gasps> one in 100 winter. What if people freeze in the wet? You know, I've heard all this stuff, dude, people are going to freeze in hospitals. There's going to be crack whores, you know, freezing overnight. Cause there's not enough uh, heat in California. I mean, the shit that I've heard, well, guess what? In every Western country on the planet, electricity trades on the half hour today, dude. Uh, Nat gas trades on the day and the half hour. Okay, there's the most violent commodities in the world, and they're the most functioning, proper, no force majeure, no refunds, no chargebacks. You know, if ExxonMobil sells me 100 million units of anything, and a hurricane comes tearing through the Gulf of Mexico, they cannot call me and go, Dude, sorry, man. Weather force majeure, right? That is what happened before we showed up. We built a, a marketplace that said, nah, we're not buying energy from your platform up here. You see this platform? No, we're not buying energy from there. We're buying energy from a delivery point, whether it's real or imagined. It's a pricing point. And if your platform falls over, great to know. Go buy me some damn gas. I need 100 million units tomorrow, dude. Or I'm cashing you out in the, the liquidity pool. And I'm going to send you a bill for the Delta. Okay, so these are hyper markets. These are perfect, perfectly functioning markets. That is why I'm so certain that crypto digital assets will make their debut. And the debut is going to look more like freaking July 4th when this thing all happens. It's going to just snap back because the coil is being sprung. I mean, 20 years of inefficiency. Uh, dude, this is just dollars. It's just digits, okay? Currency, it is not power.
It is not heat. It is not natural gas or oil. These are vital products that define whether we are a first, second, or third world nation. We're just talking about whether Visa gets a piece of this transaction. Because by the way, you've never even seen any of these transactions. Funny story once. I'm with well, a very senior guy at Visa, and they're talking about their transactions. And I looked at the guy and I said, let me ask you a question there, because uh, he was telling me how many transactions they do. I said, have you ever seen one? The guy looked at me like I'm an idiot, right? I mean, you could just see like, what, what do you mean? Have you ever seen a transaction? I need you to answer the question because I know what the answer is. The answer is no, you have never seen a transaction. It's just a report. It's an accounting ledger. Yeah. Nothing actually happened, okay? The nuclear power industry in the United Kingdom, I'm going to say something to you, and people are going to go off and go do your research, okay? When I was working with Eileen, Dr. Marshall, um, and I drew her a picture along with her Cambridge Academia, everybody's sitting there. I'm sitting there in a T-shirt, pair of jeans, and a pair of like $400 boots. And uh, I draw her a picture of a, Brit, a river and a, and a tree falling over the river. I said, hey, what would happen if a tree fell over the Thames? She said, well, the water would be diverted. I said, that's exactly right. So every night at midnight, Eileen, we're going to drop the tree over the electric river. And anybody that hadn't pre-sold for the next day, they're going into the overnight pool. And we're going to find out what that, what that power is really worth. Well, that power was worth negative, lots of numbers, okay? Because there was too much of it, supply and demand. Let supply and demand speak to each other. We're going to find out who's long, who's short. She looks at me and she said, hey, dude, is this going to work, man? Do you think this is really going to work? I said, I turned around and said, Eileen, this is going to work so well, I'm terrified you're going to knee jerk and leave me hanging because I'm trading behind this, dude. Like, I believe this will work. I believe it's grossly oversupplied, but you can't knee jerk, right? You can't change the rules when prices go from 32 to three. Okay, because that's like, it's going to happen. Oh, Gary, you're so over the top. Literally, she's, Gary, you're so over the top. Well, I left there. That was when I was retiring. Uh, six months later, the entire nuclear power industry went bankrupt. Now, not one kilowatt of power changed. It kept flowing. The only thing that changed was Nuon took a bath with all the banks, who, by the way, they threatened me out of that country because I was doing so much damage to them. I mean, you, cartels will break a lot of rules when you start really pounding on. When you start getting the phone call, your passport's getting ready to be rejected. You know you're making like, oh, now we're making some ground here. Making noise. Uh, oh, dude, literally, I was had a super bank buy a $1,000 dinner for me one night and literally said, I am going to call all my buddies. We own these power stations, dude. The CEOs don't own these power. We have all the debt on these power stations. We know what you're doing. I said, God, sharten the fuck out of this freaking uh, marketplace, dude, because you guys are killing the consumer. The consumer is being raped here because there's no methodology between supply and demand. It's not cool, okay? You want to take advantage of somebody, come play with a professional, but you can't tag your mom with an $1,100 power bill. That's uncool. 
So that market, um, that market and every other market works properly if you let supply and demand. But we have learned nothing, okay? Because four months ago, we, you know, someone, some guy in a sailboat, evidently, was smoking a cigarette, and two pipelines entering into Europe blew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all of a sudden, all the supply into Europe's gone. You've bankrupted the entire German economy, and nobody's even talking about it. Literally, the German economy is done. All utilities are broke. They're going to issue a massive bond and go super, super green. Watch what happens. And I think this results in Putin realizing that Bitcoin may be the greatest opportunity for him to take the cheapest fuel on planet Earth outside of Saudi Arabia that requires almost $2.50 of transport. He's going to put data centers up in Siberia where it's nice and chilly, where all that heat from those data centers just do nicely. And he's going to take 20 cent gas while Exxon's trying to do it with $3 and he's, and maybe even negative energy. And he's going to mine Bitcoin and he's going to stick his finger in the air to Putin or to Biden and go, well, watch me move 800 megawatts to Turkey with a USB port. Dude. Like this is, this is un, the most fascinating geopolitical commercial construct that is unwinding in front of our eyes like my whole career was designed for this moment Uh, you know you look at a company like visa visa has a 51 percent net operating margin they're a 50 year old public company i'll give you ten thousand dollars if you can find any company any company that has a 51 percent net operating margin oh by the way mastercard they're only real competitor, they have a 45% net operating margin. And the two of them own 72% of the entire plastic market, right? Pretty sure there's not a lot of competition there, okay? They charge 3.5% on every transaction, whether it works or it doesn't work. That is all going to move. Oh, Google makes 24% net operating margin. Now, Google, big company, Visa, big company. I'm pretty sure Google is like really an innovative company, right? Exxon Mobil, 12% net operating margin. If Exxon Mobil was making a 51% net operating margin, dude, we would be in courtrooms every day talking about how criminal they are. But we don't with Visa and MasterCard. And the sad thing is the poor people are getting badgered on these credit cards, right? And and quite, I think Exxon Mobil's done a, brilliant job of keeping energy prices really low because i for one i think i could debate any human on this planet i don't care how many colleges they went to energy prices in the west are grossly 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 underpriced grossly okay and and the one question i would ask to prove that is which one of you guys turned your laptop computer off last night nobody when you do then we know that energy is priced correctly. Until then, we're going to have people going to the grocery store for a loaf of bread paying $4.17 for a gallon of gas, which, by the way, does not happen in Europe. You know what they do? They They walk in Europe. They do not spend $11 gallon of gasoline going to buy a loaf of bread for a buck, right? It's because it's priced correctly. Sorry, sorry. Do you want to go ahead? I wanted to feed off of that, so... 
my question to you is, do you think it's because there's too much, uh, I would say, regulatory or government kind of overreach distorting price mechanisms in the market here? Or no, what? No, would... no, no, there's dude, there's fossil fuel here forever. Okay. Oh, we have we have energy forever. It's a lie. OK, 23 percent of all the fossil fuel on this planet leaks. It, it doesn't even get to the consumer. OK, uh, when did fracking occur? OK, fracking occurred to some prices. When prices were at ten dollars, yeah. okay. Why? Why? Because people that mine Bitcoin will always mine Bitcoin because they're miners. People that drill holes in the ground, dude, they don't care about price. They spent eight years studying how to drill holes in the ground. What price does do is that after the ten dollar event, y'all don't even remember this. Prices really got crushed. Uh, they didn't stop drilling. They started drilling smarter. That's why I love proper pricing because proper pricing always achieves the right result. Mm -hmm. They got more innovative. At 100 bucks, they did not have to become innovative, right? So um, look, I, I've had the fortune of being at the right place at the right time and being able to observe it. I, I think my observation skills are really good. Uh, I know I talk a lot, but I listen extremely well. And sometimes the reason I talk is I throw out a lot of data. I want the other guy to go, okay, go slaughter this, slaughter that construct. And the beauty of him slaughtering the construct, either he wipes me with his, you know, IQ on the floor, or I'm able to hold my own. And I start to further solidify my viewpoint. I'm constantly challenging. Am I right, man? Because, dude, when I have a view, I go in. Like, I, like there is no, I'm going to just kind of toothpick this dog. I'm going to, like, put a position on that's meaningful. Uh, and the reason is, if it's not meaningful, I'm not going to really know whether I, you know, really, really believed in the, in, in the construct. Um, so, so look, efficiency is going to come here, whether anyone likes it or not. It is a non-stoppable force. Efficiencies will show up. And the more you try to suppress them, the more they're going to show up. Yeah. And that's, I think the best example of that right now, at least in the last decade, has been this ESG corporate governance stuff that's being shoved down people's throats in a way to make it seem like, okay, we're doing something that's good for the planet. But to your point, the market is always going to find a way to to rebalance and regulate itself, right? And that's where pricing comes in. So I I feel like almost the last ten years, you know, society and this is where I, again I found this so fascinating. You talked about how you were just so against the grain. I mean, this is why Nick and I started this podcast. We were always the black sheep in the group. I'm the black sheep in my family. I think Nick is as well. You know what I'm saying? So that's what I find so fascinating. But the last decade of this ESG stuff, I think is a perfect example of the manipulation of this monopoly guy, which you quoted as evil. And I actually, I agree with that. Um, but that is what's caused this deficiency or inefficiency right now in the market. And at some point to what you just said, this is going to, this is going to even out and the free market is going to take care of that. Right. Well, I think there's no question the free market's going to take, um, take control of it. But I think more importantly, on this subject of digital assets, 
America finds itself in a very unique position in that it has zero influence over this. This is the first time in a hundred years that, and I, and I have empathy for the politicians, but like, first off, we have to acknowledge this is the first time in the history of America that it was not totally in control of a monster industry that's getting ready to be developed. They, they literally don't matter. And Fink actually validated that. He didn't say it as abruptly as I'm saying it. I'm saying it abruptly because I think everybody needs to hear it, okay? This has nothing to do with the U.S. market. Like, make it illegal, and this motherfucker's still going to roll, okay? Like, it, there's nothing they can do about this. If it was going to get squashed, it should have been squashed like eight years ago. Like, I take the first 2008 to 2012, I remove that from a, any chart. I don't even think it's relevant. In fact, I don't start charting till 2018, and I'm with all these family offices in Connecticut, and we're talking Bitcoin, and somebody said, hey, you know, it's really volatile. I said, shame, shame on you. Okay, you've been listening to some wanker, okay, because you cannot say the word volatility in Bitcoin if you don't also say five years, 570% return. Okay, if you don't, oh, it's just volatile. Well, that's like saying some artist, some crackhead, dude, without saying, dude, the guy produces every time he puts a paintbrush in his hand, he's a genius. You're saying you the know, perspective of that statement. You, you have to put it like, hey, it's a violent asset. Cool, dude. It is. So was Amazon. Okay. Tesla went down 100% like three months ago. It is a violent asset, but it's the second best returning asset in the world outside of Tesla. So see, that's the other thing. People make a mistake. They go, it's the best performing asset. No, it's not Bitcoiners. Tesla is the best performing asset uh, per the chart. So, you know, that audience now, I probably offended the guy that said, you know, that I corrected and said, it's volatile. It, it is my job to educate those people. That one person may not like me, but whoa, whoa, dude, that's a myth. 50 people in this room with probably $5 billion, okay? And we need to tell them. And I looked at them, 570% return. Did any of you guys achieve that with any of your shit? Not one of us achieved that, okay? Period. That's the information these people need to hear. That's the truth, right? So- A lot of things people say, they don't they don't align it with their perspective, the time frame by which they're saying that. If you take a one-year graph, sure, maybe something you could say something is volatile, put it on a five-year, ten-year time frame, that the perspective of that statement changes entirely. Yeah. And look, it, it, any any industry that, that's like this, it does have risk. I would say that I had dinner the other night with this lovely CEO woman who's running a big private equity bought firm, a kind of an accounting forensics business, and she bought Bitcoin at seven bucks, man. Oh, wow. And, and she bought Ether at sizable, right? Like uh, she bought Ether at 35 cents. And I looked at her and I congratulated her. And I said, well, how much are you buying today? She said, as much as I can. And I said, your investment at $7 was stupid, ignorant, rambunctious, and ridiculous compared to me being able to buy Bitcoin at $25,000 today, knowing that the Treasury Department has blessed it, the IRS has blessed it, 
Larry Fink wants in on the deal, okay, he's blasted because he is government. And the SEC has basically just got their eyeballs ripped out of their head because of overreach. And they're calling it a sustainable asset class. That's not monster amount of indicators, okay? You add on top of that, because I spend a lot of time not on these podcasts, but actually talking to human beings on Wall Street, Connecticut, wherever. I mean, these are, you know, hey, Anthony Scaramucci, let's have dinner, right? Uh, Dan Tapiro, those kind of guys. That I'm good at going, reaching out and, at, you know, really not doing a podcast, but talking to people about what's really happening. There's too much intellectual capital moving in this space. The price to me is less important than, whoa, look at the people coming into this space, okay? Like, why is a guy like, I do not have to work, okay? I dig working when I'm doing something really exciting. It is my art farm, but unless it's fun, I'm not doing this. Unless I think this is going to be the last great adventure of my life, why would I be doing this? Mark Yusk is 10 years younger than me. Why the hell is he doing it? He doesn't even want to talk about an infrastructure deal now. Okay. Dan Tapiro is like, fuck infrastructure. Analog's dead, right? He's into like crazy, crazy deals. And there's Ralph, like there's many dozens of these old goats, man, that literally have turned their back on Wall Street and moving in this space. I'm with a guy yesterday, one of the top four firms in D.C. having lunch. And I think the guy's like, man, if a guy like you would support a business, I'd leave this big fucking top four company tomorrow morning. And I actually made the comment to him. I'm like, hey, if your guys aren't going to get out of their own way, dude, you want to do something? He's like, oh. the head guy at my competitor called me Monday and said, you know, we should find somebody that supports this because this is bullshit. Neither one of our companies are making enough moves. So you're having a tremendous, I just hired a guy, an ex-partner, Ernst & Young, to go work for Node 40. He had three job offers, leaving Chainalysis, 800 grand each, and he comes to work for me for 150 and some paper. I mean, he's going to get rich with Node 40 paper, but my pitch to him was, he knows. This top four guy, okay, top, a partner, he like, I said, look, you can either go back and work for those one of those guys and solve their problem in four years, or you can come work for me and we can solve, we can transform the whole industry and how they do it. He comes to work and we can transform the whole industry, man. This is, a, you... a, this is an opportunity, like literally to shape an industry. That's what I like doing. Okay. Sitting down with the regulators and going, we will put money behind this if you support us. Okay. But you can't have, you know, some heavyweight come in here and distort reality. Uh, so look, it's going to be, uh, this is going to be a great adventure because I think the people that are coming into this space have also never had some of these challenges. Like how do you light up an ETF when there's a blockchain that everybody can look into? And that guy's got to go buy a bunch of Bitcoin. Like we're going to be able to see, but, but no traders dude have ever been in this position where you could see. So it's going to be uh, like, it's going to be a little different game for them, which makes it exciting to me. Um, I definitely, then, 
I, I definitely see the parallel though from your experience in the energy space because blockchain mining is just it's hash rates, peta hash rates. So you have to be able to understand that there's a market for that right now too, right? So it's it's just fascinating to me to see that the the dots are just connecting essentially. Yeah, well, and and the really weird thing is, and this didn't this was not constructed right, but I spent the last twelve years building a half a billion dollar business that me and my wife own no outside equity this the chargeback business i wanted to call it the great trojan horse and she was like that's ridiculous she came up with some stupid name like chargeback 911 i went disputes clearinghouse because my idea was hey look there's millions of chargeback disputes they all should be centralized agnostic centralized we just take it away from all the banks and we just clear them all right um my partner didn't want to go there because she she thought I was clearly a dummy, uh, but that is what that is the only way the credit card industry will solve that problem. There's 62,000 people employed to handle disputes, credit card, six billion dollars a year of complete this, dude. Yeah, total amateur hour. Okay, somebody at XYZ Bank taking your wife's phone call. Yeah, that wasn't me. Those $400 shoes that I wore last night. Yeah, they 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 really ached on my feet. I don't want them anymore. And the poor lady at the bank files a chargeback, and then you start this chain of events that you hope crypto will never go through because it's like a leaky little plumbing thing that never stops. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. The point I'm trying to make, we built a large business in an industry for 34, 35 or 40 years. It have accepted that chargebacks is a cost of doing business. When we started, there were 50 million. I built the business on the thesis. There were 50 million unique chargeback events. There are 656 million unique chargeback events a year. And that is after 10 companies like chargebacks were formed. And Visa and MasterCard invested no less than $5 billion in cash on fraud solutions. Yet declines have done this Refunds have gone astronomical from about 0.1% to now 2% in-store, 8% online. 8% online used to be a fraud stat, and chargebacks are over 1%. Okay, with 656 million. The 656 million chargebacks that Visa said there were took eight years for anybody to say how many they were. Now, why would it take eight years for two big public companies to finally share how many chargeback disputes there were, which by the way, you and I are paying for. Okay, because you, you and I don't file chargebacks and, and a bunch of refunds. So we're paying for the bad consumer and we're paying for the bad bank. And all along the entire vendor payment chain from merchant to consumer, people are making money on all of these events, adding zero value. And I'm not judgmental. I, I, some of these people are my friends. But the world I live in, blockchain, transparency, digitization of everything, which means no friction. Because that's a formula. A real important rule to remember is when you enter transparency into any market, I do not care what market it is. It could be a monarchy. It could be an all market. When you add transparency, transparency starts commoditization. Commoditization is two things. Monster volumes compressed margins yeah who doesn't who doesn't want 
cannabis. Who doesn't want the com- who doesn't want the compressed margin? The guy nice. that's a public company yeah. that's got a fake artificial margin, mm-hmm. and they're going. This is why the Goldmans are going to hate circle seventy million dollar uh, stable fee fees because they're used to making seven hundred million, and they're going to look at circle going. Dude, like we can't take that business. It's going to destroy our margins, you know, because they measure it, all these margins in their baskets. The analysts are going to kill them. Yeah. It's like cannabis, right? Canada, we had legalization of cannabis. And then, like you said, commoditization, just too much volume, just an inflow of producers and sort of LPs. I well, feel well like this- of, co- of course, man. But see, yeah. that, that anybody that's in cannabis and got crushed, I've been pitched cannabis still so many times. And I'm like, dude, why would you buy something that I can grow in my room? And nobody knows it, right? What, what, like, I can't imagine being in the can. There's no, the only money in cannabis is selling the paraphernalia in the fucking stores. Those are big, fat margin, right? I don't see any money in that. They, you will have an infinite supply of, of cannabis. But I look at 21 million Bitcoin, I go, hmm. Can't grow any of those. Limited you supply. Know? Yep. A limited supply. So, and, so and, it, and, and it lets me do things, right? It actually lets me do things. So stay on this theme. How, what, what are the, some problems you see in the short term that can kind of slow this impact or this, the, this evolution? Nothing. <laughs> No, not not not, it's not too. It's there's too many external variables that are outside of, of a given nation or or state that regardless of what is done, it won't have any impact. I think CBDCs are trying to stop it, right? Is that yeah, potentially? But he, but, but, but he asked. Actually, I don't think there's any scenario that it doesn't speed up. And and the re- see, I'm a big fan of CBDCs. And, and, and the reason is this, it's an idea from the government. So I know it's bad. <laughs> not, not, not only do I, I know like it's bad, because, uh, not only do I know it's case. bad, but it's grossly flawed. Well, why would it be usually the case? These people have because, never done anything, dude. Exactly. They go to meetings. Okay. When, when Elizabeth Warren is worth $73 million and she only makes 183, like it took me so long to make $73 million. Okay, I've been grinding my whole damn life. I want to kill that lady and go, I cannot believe you, criminal. You're, who did you suck off? I mean, what criminal did you let go, right? Like that's what you, you had to let go of a criminal. So I don't see a scenario, man. The only scenario that I see is if there's four EMPs launched, mm-hmm. electronic magnetic pulses are launched across the planet. They have to do it multi-country too, because if they only do the U.S., dude, like, and you can still print and mine and trade in Asia, that price is going to rock. Uh, I think that's the only thing that gets us there. Now, I will tell you, I think that the community itself is its biggest liability. The tribal nature of whatever's going on in this community really needs to, like, I think we need to go to group counseling. Uh, the, that I am uh, not liked by the Maxis is so far beyond why. Like, seriously, they should send me a trophy and offer me like, hey, man, let me let me get, why are you here? 
thank you for coming. Uh, so I bought companies in this. I just, I just don't even know what to do. And I don't believe in owning the, I, I hate the other coins. Okay. Except for me, you know, being a little bit of an adrenaline junkie every now and then going, eh, I'll take a punt on Dogecoin just because, you know, Elon may do something insane. <laughs> um, which, you know, he, he, see, I buy into these theories though. Like the most ironic thing might happen here. One thing I do know is that when these markets are uh, uh, mutating, this market is mutating, okay? Like, like you have to look at the thousand-year legacy and go, oh, we're in a mutation. It's not morphing. This is not a subtle little – this is cloning like, oh, my God, dude, there's a splitting of the cells, right? And you've injected some weird funky thing in it. CBDCs are going to teach my 75-year-old sister – to be really comfortable with digital, even though she's already digital. See, most people don't understand you're already digital. Okay. I know that because nobody's carrying cash. Mm -hmm. Now, if the cash weighed anything, I'd be like, okay, man, I carry 10 ounces of gold with me for 15 years, dude, everywhere I go. Okay. If I go to Europe, I have 10 ounces of gold with me in a briefcase. I've never lost it. Never lost. I've never lost my briefcase. I'll probably keep 10 or 20 grand in cash in various currencies in it. Now, why do I do that? It doesn't weigh anything. A total of 12 ounces for me to carry 10 ounces of gold and 20 grand of cash so that me and my kids don't ever get trapped. Because, you know, if I'm on the side of the road at 2 a.m. in the morning with you guys and you've got your Bitcoin and he's got his credit card, and I got $1,000 in cash, dude, I'm going to get picked up by the taxi. Okay, the credit card guy is definitely not getting picked up. <laughs> okay, he's fucked. And, you know, the guy with the gold or the Bitcoin, they're like, eh, that's a lot of heavy lift, dude. I'll just take the cash. I don't even have to report it. So I think there's a complement of these different tools. This is going to be a slippery slope, right? Um. I think what the exciting thing that we should be waiting for is the game theory to really, fun, really, really kick in. I'm going to predict. I'm not really good at predicting prices. Uh, if, you, if you hold on to my positions, you'll be margin called all over the place uh, as far as timing. I think there's really good chance that you see a major sovereign put Bitcoin on their, on their balance sheet in 24. So it's By not major, just it's not just El Salvador anymore. It's another big nation. Well, let's just play this little game. What if three more in South San Salvadors did it, just for a little piece? Uh, but if you look at what's happening in Europe, I I believe Europe is completely falling apart. Mm -hmm. uh, they are going to be used by this country that has red, white, and blue on it. Uh, that I mean. That country is just going to toss them in a toilet. Don't give a toss. The problem was, I don't think the Eurozone was ever correctly farmed, that the United Kingdom was able to bring its own currency. They never even joined the damn group. Okay, not really. They were kind of like doing their typical British thing. Hey, I'll spank you on Saturdays and Sundays, but I'm going home to my wife and on, on Mondays through Fridays. Um, I'll play with you in the dark, but I'm not going to really let anybody know. And I'm going to keep my currency. So they never entered. Okay. So their Brexit was simply 
none of the politicians will ever say this, but you were never in the first place, okay? They they did a really good job of getting out. They don't understand what they did because the government guys don't get it, but they've left all of Europe on the shoulders of Germany to pipeline. If I'm right, Germany's done, dude, already. And they're well, just not telling anybody. Trump, Trump called it in the United Nations, I think, in 2018. Literally told them to their face, like, you're not going to have a country because you're totally dependent on Russia on this natural gas deal. And now they've restarted coal plants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're they're going to go super, super, super green, and they're going to launch a trillion dollars of quantitative easing. Uh, what, mark my words, okay? Um, they'll they can't be put in this position again. I mean, I was, I could have done some really funky business with Russia a long time ago, and I never did because I'm I'm not playing that game. I could have made million billions of dollars, uh, but but so I think that all these constructs, these are mental constructs okay these are four guys in a room drinking a bottle of whiskey going hey you think we could pull this off man i mean let's try it so they put this construct together i think our age today these constructs are unwinding right they served a purpose many many years ago a lot of my banking friends go dude you're hard on the bank the traditional banking i'm like i'm not really hard on you guys okay you've been around 800 years man you did a great job for us when we had pencils and paper, and that's all we had. Awesome, dude. But look, I'm talking to two guys right now. I don't even know where they are, but they're not in my house. We're having a good communication. It's costing me $20 a month. The world has changed. This experience will be measured, traced, tracked, quantified. We're going to put an ROI on it one day. Okay. I'm not going to buy Zoom monthly. I'm going to buy Zoom as I need it, okay, whatever that Zoom is in the future, we will be a rental economy. And the reason we'll be a rental economy is because it makes sense to use, pay for as you use it. It manages the usage better, right? Your automobile sitting in your garage, right? Right now, your car sits in a garage 96% of the time. That is not an efficient use of energy just sitting on a block of some tires. I mean, if we really look at, you know, if we cut out all of the oil burning on the planet, you still need 50% of what's in fossil fuel just to build a car, right? What are you going to sit on? Some electricity? I don't think you're going to be sitting on electricity. I think you're going to sit on some rubber, okay, some petroleum byproducts. So, I just think these worlds go like how we started the conversation. You go through a cycle of death, okay, for there to be a new creation. Dude, this old world is like dragging, okay? It's old. I have to wait at the grocery. I was at the eye doctor today. I had to wait 10 minutes for my credit card to get pounded. Like, this is like so inefficient. I looked at her and went, dude, you signed it. And I walked out, $400. I said, you signed it, sweetie. You know, I, I'm done. So the, the, even the security around those, the, the security isn't even working. We, we spent a billion dollars in Europe getting all these rules around credit card use in Europe and thought that the Americans were going to play along. I'm like, hey, what, what are y'all doing? Why would you spend all this money on EU regulation for credit cards when the lady in Paris actually shops in New York on a regular basis? Like we need 
one code of conduct for all internet transactions. There needs to be one terms and conditions for the 50 million merchants who send us products and they all have different P's and C's. Why? To confuse us? Hoodwink us? Trap us? Why are we asking little kids to hit cookie consents to teach them to freaking touch a button to get the free cheese? They're not reading the contracts. They're binding contracts. And then we have authorities come in and go, hey, we're going to unwind those contracts. Visa, you didn't have anything to do with this bloody contract. If a guy wants to buy pornography, why are you charging the merchant and the consumer 350% more for the credit card transaction than you charge on the guy in the grocery store? What? It's just a transaction. The pornography transaction does not look any different than the celery that was sold or the dildo that was sold. When does it cross over into being worth 350%, right? And by the way, nobody else can play in the market. Literally, it's closed to everyone. So if ExxonMobil was charging 350% more for their gasoline to, uh, to a guy that shows up with a big blunt in his mouth and he's rolling in his big wheels in the car, like there would be anarchy in the streets, man, right? Anarch, total anarchy, literally different pricing for the exact same thing. When the consumer knows no different, the consumer knows no difference in a airline transaction, a grocery transaction, or a pornography transaction, or a gambling transaction for that matter. Assuming they're all legal, why do they have different rules, right? So the world has to become homogenous, fungible, easy to understand for it to be frictionless. So I get back to my transparency leads to commoditization. Commoditization leads to margin destruction. Margin destruction leads to monster, monster volume. Transparency, everybody gets to see what the game is and the most efficient player wins. And I think you, you, you head there because we are now a digital world. Like the tools we have are digitized, right? And everything will be measured. Thus, the reason I bought Node 40, because I'm like, oh my God, I cannot even believe I'm getting to buy this thing. $20 million builds. I could do five of these, okay? $20 million in cash, I can build a billion dollar company. Now, I think that's crazy, man. And by the way, my billion is the absolute lowest return I'll get. Because no one's doing this. And in about two years from now, it will be too late. You can't build this when the shit's hitting the fan. I like that it's slow. Like, it, if it were faster, dude, we would all be failing. Badly failing. Because digesting this scale is not easy not, at all. It's it's so interconnected, too, which is, like, insane. So, you're you know, when you're talking about the scalability of it, it's like, Anybody can touch this across the world. We've never ever experienced that. You know, going. Let's go back to to the beginning of the century, right? When it was just oil and gas. That was just it. Like that was all paper. There was. It, I'm just. I'm having flashbacks as well from what like what you're talking about. Um, and the halving is coming up too. That's pretty significant too because that obviously supply demand supply is getting cut. We know what happens. Basic economics. Um, you talk about bricks a lot, especially in the Twitter spaces. And I think this is one of those seismic shifts that's coming up. It's already happening right in front of our face. And you've got African countries that are pissed off at Western countries. Uh, 
you've got you know Russia that is being deemed the like the pure evilest country in the world. China is quote unquote failing, but this BRICS thing is serious. And I'm curious to know one like what what's your thought process on this whole situation? How is this affecting business uh, every day with 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 what's happening in in the investment world? And my second question is, um, with regards to just that one country that you think is going to put Bitcoin on their balance sheet, like, and I know we don't want to make predictions here, but is it fair to say that like a BRICS country would probably be the next one just based on everything that's been going on? I I, I don't know necessarily. Um, I, I think there's not just BRICS going on. There's MICA, mm-hmm. uh, there, look, uh, Canary Wharf. Um, I, I thought it was hilarious when Gensler came out when the whole FT, FTX thing was happening. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna make illegal all tokens, right? And I just like, okay, so now I'm gonna call up Goldman and go, hey man, give me your Dubai office, dude. <laughs> so, so the rich guys get to still make the phone call. It's not that. And by the way, London, half of London's advertisements. Okay, to the Joe Public. Remember, I spent 15 years there. So, like, I'm half of them are for gambling. Okay, like literally gambling. They will be really okay with tokens and trading, and they will light that shit up in Canary Wharf like you've never seen before. They will love our stupidity of saying this isn't going to happen on our watch. Uh, I mean, I, I, they're the ones that made uh, uh, spread betting. There's no taxes on spread betting. Okay, so you can bet a spread. Like, so Dubai, come on. Asia, dude, they love gambling. I mean, I heard a, in a family office yesterday, I heard some guy trying to pitch to these family offices that Asians, the Asian stock market was bigger than the U.S. stock market. And I'm like, Bro, the only reason the transaction volume is the same is because they're habitual gamblers. Derivatives. Okay, they, they turn so much volume. I mean, come on. It's not the size of America. I can't believe he was trying to pull that on people. Like, seriously, dude, did you just say that Japan's equity market is, they're a bunch of degenerate gamblers. They love the action, right? So all those markets are going to play with this product, whether we like it or not. The BRICS, look, I, I would predict that somewhere in Europe, uh, one of these guys puts Europe or Eastern Europe, which is really concerning. Okay, like if Portugal or Turkey, Turkey started like, hey, I'm I'm gonna move some of my gold position. Like you have one of them do it, and it's it's uh it will start it will start a game. Uh, you, you're gonna have. You could literally have two states in the in the United States do it. Florida or Texas could do it. Mm-hmm. it that Fair could enough. create a game theory with other with other states just to keep their P and L up. I also think that one would be very more much more likely in the sense of America because I I feel that there's a there's a divergence occurring in the states where a lot of states and individuals want to start separating themselves from the federal government, especially from the liability of the federal government. 
So they're going to have to start. And we have a friend of ours who we brought on who works with this. That's it's the it's called the Sound Money League. And they go around America to different states advocating for bringing back or removing taxes off things like Bitcoin, off of gold and silver. So individuals and, and governments can or municipalities can start building their own uh, banks and balance sheets with actual things that are separate from the typical currency. Yeah. Um, that could be, that could be, uh, um, I think we're maybe more likely to see, um, if, if, if you, if we get out of the blockchain world for a second, mm -hmm. well, out of the Bitcoin currency world, if I told you just three years ago, that in 2023, a guy who's never done media before, ever, never been attracted to media or the economics of media. Uh, I went down a rabbit hole looking at a deal recently, and the some of the work I'm doing on Twitter, this is really what my gift is, is going into a market and playing with it. Uh, most 65-year-old guys aren't going to go on a Sunday afternoon, start a Twitter space, and go, hey, let's see how this is, and run it for eight hours. Like, eight hours. Uh, first off, I was like, well, I, I think I have enough content. Secondly, okay, I'm learning how to do the buttons. People come up and get angry. I, I'm learning all that real time. I'm not reading a paper on it. I'm actually learning it. I did that. I've done that for three weeks now. I have... David Lynn wants to do a show with me. Okay. Nice. I called up David, David bet said, Hey man, I want to talk to you when you want to come out, dude. Okay. Everyone is open to this conversation about everything. That's the other thing I can get a meeting with every human being on this planet. It's not because I'm Gary Cardone with money. It's literally everybody wants to meet. Hey, do you have a solution? Do you have a solution? What are you doing? What are you doing? That, that, that has never happened before. Okay. But when you open the doors, it took me three years to get a meeting with ExxonMobil when I was 27. They just didn't want to meet me. They like, dude, I'll sell you some stuff, but I don't want anybody to see us with you. You're, you're, you're the roach. Okay. And we are the roach until we become the super roach. And then, then you're respected. So I think you could see a turkey, you know, somebody that's really stressed out over their position inside NATO. Okay. They may not ship uh weapons but or they may not say hey i'm not going to ship weapons they may just say start putting some of this on their balance sheet because right now all those countries have to buy u.s dollars um slippery slippery right trickle 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 until it's a waterfall uh, i've got a leak in my house somewhere can't find it but i'm going to find it when it really turns into some volume right that's what happens and people will wake up and they're going to wake up too late um very reminiscent, this price point, very, very reminiscent when me and my brother were buying apartments in Arizona 20 years ago. And those doors, each apartment door cost $25,000. Today, those doors are worth 250 to 300 Gs, and you can't even buy them. Uh, and they don't require insurance. The Bitcoin doesn't require insurance, doesn't require maintenance. I never pay taxes every year, I pay taxes, right? Uh, I, and I get to transport it to Turkey if I want. I got, I got a villa, Manhattan real estate sitting in my back pocket. 
and there's only 21 million of them. And my math, I think just the ultra wealthy and the millionaires on this planet, it's only 62.4 million people. They need to buy at least 50 million Bitcoin to have a meaningful position in Bitcoin to balance their portfolio, any even close to balancing a portfolio. That puts $2.5 million of Bitcoin in, in 400,000 high net worth families. Dude, I know guys like $2.5 million, bro. That's a bet at the blackjack table. Like they, they want to deploy meaningful money. Like when you're worth half a billion dollars, like $2.5 million, that's lunch, man. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like they'll spend $2 million on a holiday on an airplane just on the jet. So you have to kind of reframe your mind. 62 million millionaires. You guys will be one of those one day, right? And then there'll be 80. 62 millionaires allocate merely $2,500 to Bitcoin. 5.7 million Bitcoin at today's price. 37 million Bitcoin are required for 400,000 high net worth families around the world. This is not US, around the world to have a $2.5 million position. My position is far larger than two and a half, okay? And I'm, I'm probably a small or ultra wealth guy. I'm also always early and I'm a little bit not like the other 60 year olds. I'm just a little bit, I'm, I'm just one of those weird guys, right? Uh, so that makes sense to me that they haven't all come into the game yet because I'm always a little early. I take a lot of risk on the front end. Uh, but for me, I like uh, 20 million. Chargebacks 911. I exited for 200. I got I got 200 200 to one x on a 10 year return, man. You know, like that's a fucking great return, <laughs> right? And I can do that over and over and over uh, if you have enough really smart people that want to scale and build a business legitimately. You don't have to do FTX, uh, but like seriously, okay? For the I'm literally thinking about farming a media company. Because of this technology, not because I really like media, but now I look at it and go, wow, I could help a lot of people too, man. Okay. I could arbitrage all the stuff I hate about CNN. See, if nobody steps into the vacuum of education and news, then we're just going to get the same shit we've been getting. Now we have the Tucker calls, and this is a movement now, dude. You have Tucker, dude. You have my, my twin brother. Got rich 12 years ago. Okay? Yeah. Everybody thinks he got rich. He didn't get rich 12 years ago. I was so much richer than that little fuck. Okay? <laughs> he, he, got, he really hit it when he went into Facebook. Yeah. He went all in ago. on YouTube as well, right? So, well, so, well I'll tell you, somebody, somebody told him because he, like, he was losing his business. They had an event, and, and he was like, dude, I'm getting ready to get crushed because all his contacts were automobile dealers. And I always told him, I said, bro, you're way too leveraged, like bad business, way too leveraged against that. It doesn't go talk to some other people. Um, he had a man tell him, he called him up. He said, hey, I, I could be in financial trouble. You know, it's really scary. Grant's always scared. Um, it's just in his DNA. He just always like think he made a mistake. And, and um the guy looked at him and said, you know, you really should look at what's going on with Facebook. And Grant had a violent reaction. He was 55. He said, fuck Facebook. It's below me, right? The guy walks out the door and look, turns around, looks at me and said, you might want to look at your attitude, dude. 
Like, well, why are you so negative? Grant sat down and said, why am I so negative about Facebook? I don't even know anything about it. It actually frightened him. That was what the response was about. It terrified. He didn't understand it. That day he opened an account and then he was like, oh, I'm going to stick my nose. I'm going to get to know 8 billion people and half of them are going to hate me. Let's roll. That turned his life around. Okay. Literally his money all showed up in the last six, seven years, really. I mean, when he really realized, and, and this is his goal too. His goal has always been to be almost a cult type leader. Uh, and I, I say that with like respect. I'm not, cause I think we're in a cult world. You people want deep, deep, rich, powerful uh, leaders. It's branding too, right? Like Patrick Bet David's another example of value tainment. That's exactly. what it is. Tucker Carlson's going to become his own image now, probably. Well, too, he's you know? already blown and, out TV ratings. Exactly. And going back to your point, we were talking about this whole, you know, potentially forming a media company. You know, like the people we talk to, you know, I pay attention, we'll pay attention to the mainstream news only because, well, they dominate the mainstream narrative. Sure. Got to know but what the I enemy is saying, basically. Exactly. Yeah. You know, like I've, I've heard you mention one of your favorite books was The Art of War. So, you know, you got to know your opponents or else you don't know what the hell's going on. But at the same time, I'm perpetually in, a, in an environment where I'm seeking other sources of information that could provide me with a different perspective or a different analysis. Would it, and, and granted, like, for example, yourself, you like you have your own massive background of experience in the commodity space and a natural gas environment. So your perspective on how the world's behaving and uh, whatever's coming in the energy sector is an, a, a factor that we appreciate and we want to absorb as much information because these are pieces that we can continue. We can start adding to our puzzle and the, the big picture and we can start figuring out how things are behaving. Yeah, totally. So it, totally. It, it's, and, it's, it's rightful. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, that, that, that's the cool thing about this industry. Cause one, it doesn't require prior education. In fact, the more education you have for this industry, I think it's actually a liability. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, I'm hiring people right now. I'm going, hey, I don't need to know about your four-year college, okay? I, I don't really care. So let me just go grab the 18-year-old that had a dad and a mom that actually knew how to at least train them, show up on time, uh, learn. I, I'm going to turn 18-year-old kids into multimillionaires by the time they're 22. Uh, if they're willing to do some grunt work, uh, if they don't want to go sit in school for four for eight hours a day, my kids are like, we don't learn shit, dude. And they're in a private, best private school. Okay. They teach them nothing. Um, complete waste of time. Uh, I think education by the end of this decade, there will be no people sending their kids to school. Okay. If you send your kids to school and, and by the 2030, you're literally making a decision to outsource them to a penitentiary. Yeah. And there is, that's it, dude. It's the, and the, re it's the, the reason I say that is because my children do not need to leave their home to learn everything they need to learn now. It, it, my kids are not allowed to use AI. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? They can't use AI. They're going to be at a disadvantage if they don't use AI. And by the way, you let them walk in the room with a calculator and a damn phone. Okay, that is AI. What are you talking? Nope, can't use chat. Well, can they use Google? Yep, they can use Google. Well, dude, what is wrong? <laughs> oh my God. It's, right? It's an embarrassment, it's, man. It's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. This is a private school, dude. 50 grand a year. 
So the the uh dude, this YouTube world. will do far more. YouTube will do far more for learning history and the world as is than going to school. Yep. But but you know, they just took the guy Ben Rose out of like they just terminated his ass. See, the censorship is our biggest worry here. This is where you guys have to man up. Take some Viagra, do whatever, man. But like, we cannot have censorship. Okay. And I think the right solution is for all of us. I'm going to blame everybody that's listening to this, that you're still actually in alignment with the enemy. Okay. All of you. And I know that I'm thinking about holding a Twitter spaces. And the requirement is you have to bring your monthly budget from your house to the Twitter space. And we're all going to get a little honest, including Gary. I'm quite certain that within that there's over $1,200 a month in charges that come to me that first are recurring charges that I have no need for. Secondly, this is going to be the tough one. Okay. There's a charge to Billy Bob's energy company. Now, are they an enemy or are they a friend? Netflix, fucking enemy, okay? For sure. Terminate, I am not supporting this service. If people just, look, vote, don't vote. But right now, let's vote with our pocketbook, okay? First, you can make a vote right now today. Now, why am I saying this? I'm probably going to get censored pretty quickly. The reason I'm saying this, because every one of these companies have quarterly earnings. They bought into this bullshit that you could build a multi-billion dollar healthy company and hit quarterly targets. So a 22-year-old kid on Wall Street could, could ask you questions and measure his questions against somebody else's. You can't build a great country or an army on a quarterly basis, man. Shit. Um, so you have to that, force outcomes in, to do that on a short term. You, you have to. No, you have to do pencil whipping, dude. Okay, oh, you got to lie. You got to lie. That's what you got to do. You have to lie, okay, and start. Oh, we'll do mark to market on that. Re remember when COVID came out, we actually created a new field of, of accounting, EBITDA, parentheses, <laughs> as if COVID did not happen. Like, oh, wow, dude, I made a trillion dollars last year of EBITDA. I had people, we got $2 million in one of my companies for PPP. I mean, it was this easy, dude. Hey, uh, Truist, make sure I'm on the top of the list. Oh, Mr. Cardone, no problem, dude. You're done. Like, I, I knew within the first day. Then my staff go to get the $2 billion. It was like writing an email. Two years later, or a year later, when we pa were passing out budgets, the chief commercial, the, 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 the. CFO. Uh, chief financial no, no, officer. The, the, some, some, uh, one, one of the partners, uh, assistant started bitching about his bonus. He's like, oh, we made all this money last year. My, my bonus is tied to EBITDA. I'm like, bro, two million of it was from the U.S. government. That, that's mine, man. I deserve a piece. I said, dude, you're so stupid. Okay. Like, really? See, these people forget, man. Oh, look at the money. That was an event. Okay. Um, but, but back to, like, we can go vote for the people, but quite frankly, Unless I vote for one or two guys, I need a ball buster of politics. What I need to do is start voting against the guys that are against me, cut my $10 to them. We will slaughter them in, 60, in two, two quarters. Dude. Two quarters, you will see earnings 
depletion. If everyone just stopped paying for stuff they don't need, what am I talking about? I have four music apps on this deal, dude. An iPhone broke the entire music industry. And you want to hear something really crazy? I'm paying some other guy besides uh, Apple to do my music. And so is everyone else. Now, how did that happen? I have music sitting on the phone. It's embedded. They created the damn music compression thing, and I'm using Spotify. And I'm still paying Yahoo and some other guy. Weird, okay? Transparency removes all of this. This is gross inefficiency, okay? I mean, horrible inefficiency. Just because I can click a button and do something, and then they hoodwink me three weeks later and start charging my card. So imagine if all that money came out of the credit cards and then was deployed to Bitcoin into a savings program. Seven trillion dollars, guys. Seven trillion dollars banks are making in fees and fines. That's before Netflix gets their subscription fee for doing nothing. They're so they're so open for uh, exposure. They're so exposed. This is why they don't call your sister and say, dude, you have to get off of Nick's account. I mean, I got my sister's worth, I don't know, five or six million dollars, secretary in Texas and Louisiana. She's been using my account for years. The the Netflix Netflix. You're a total thief, dude. But you can't afford your Netflix. She said, I don't want to buy it. Why (laughs) don't they call me and terminate? They're terrified to see the stats go down because they're counting Netflix as three accounts. They are. They're they're also cracking down, I guess, on the sharing as well. They want people to to buy it. I I haven't gotten the phone call yet. Yeah. (laughs) Like my, she called me the other day. Hey, I see you're watching Painkiller, man. Should I watch it? Go ahead. <laughs> Go ahead. Like she's still using it. So you would have thought they would have cleaned that up the next month, right? Now, now let's take a reverse story. I'm here Saturday, last Saturday afternoon. A buddy of mine drives up in a Ferrari and another guy drives up in a Tesla. And the Ferrari guy's all excited, right? Tesla, another Tesla guy shows up who bought his car a year prior. I looked at the the guy that showed up late who bought the the Tesla a year ago. I said, dude, how does it feel that Bob over here has a car that's 20% better and 20% cheaper as of today? And he's like, huh? I said, well, Elon just delivered this car to this to Bill. The car's literally got more improvements in it in the last three years, and he dropped the price seven grand. And he's like, that's bullshit, man. That's deflation, dude. That's when technology goes so extreme that you start dropping prices. When was the last time you heard any car dealer in 150 years increasing value by 20% and lowering the price by 20%? Never would be the answer. Never. They're dead, dude. All the car, they're absolutely slaughtered. They can't even build their P&L to handle that kind of freaking forecast. See, the world I live in, everything goes to zero. Almost everything, like literally, we have seen the highest prices we're ever going to see unless we go World War III on crude oil. If we see that spike on crude oil, we will see it crash because there will be no demand for it. I think we've seen max price on absolutely everything because I think we've seen max consumption and max waste 
we are literally max consumption and max waste. I just see the everything we throw away here. I mean, if I was charged correctly, I should have a higher garbage bill than other people. We throw a lot of shit away, dude. I have eight trash cans out there. Like I got a little room just for the trash cans, right? I mean, all these rich people. I, like, And I'm raising my hands going, now why am I not more in pain over this? Because the price isn't correct. I'm really just saying that I'm not really sensitive to how much trash I'm spewing onto the planet. Not really. When it starts to cost me something, though, it'll get my attention, right? Because I really can't see the plastic in the water. I don't want to see it either. I don't want to look at that, right? But if it was priced, hey, Gary, you're paying $800 a month to have trash removed. Quite frankly, that's probably the right price. Hmm. I mean, when I say we have trash, like, you know, we'll buy stuff that comes in big boxes and you know i mean uh, just everybody you got a, you got a costco you buy the boxes basically <laughs> like here well, where we li- go ahead, check go, this go, out okay i used ahead, to spend fifteen hundred dollars a week at costco every week i would take my kids my wife and we would do a two and a half hour jaunt on a saturday thinking it was fun covid came around they looked at me and said, you got to stand in line and wear this thing. I was like, really? I will never, ever return to this store ever again. $1,500 for 10 years, 54 weeks of the year almost, okay? They have never seen that, and they will never, ever see a dime ever again. This is the world. Like the world, the future is going to be you're going to have a lot of options. Um, and these membership programs are not locking people in. Anheuser Busch, who would have uh, thought? Yeah, dude, two hundred year old trademark. Oh my gosh, what a okay, disaster! Now, now, yeah, but this is the problem. Okay, Let, let's say you're the CEO of, of Anheuser Busch. You cannot possibly be expected to review every ad, dude. Okay. This world has moved too fast for the old world. What, they're going to take every ad to the board? Hey, is this okay? This is what they're going to do now. They're going to, all ads must come through central control. Here's head of wokeness of all wokeness. We will check everything. In fact, it's going to probably go through HR, which the moment HR takes over, the fucking company's dead. That That is a red flag indicator every time. Every time I'm in a company and they start bringing in the HR expert, I'm like, I'm out. Dude, I am so far out of here. And it's not because I don't like them. I actually had sex with one of them once. It was awesome. But they harm the company because they stop. They want everyone to look the same, everyone to be equal. And the truth is the three of us are not equal. No. Dan's biggest lie. It's the biggest biggest bullshit. You're going to be so much better at some things than I am. Come on, man. All there's so many things that I'm just an idiot at and I should never even be like, not even allowed in the, on the basket, like not going to allow me on the basketball court. I'm sharp and slow. So I sat on the bench. Like I sat on the bench, man. When I was a kid, I didn't, my, my girls complaining about when well, I sat on the bench, I went, dude, you're the one that went out to varsity with no training. I mean, what the fuck did you think? I, I tell her all the time. I'm like, I don't even want to hear this, dude. You never got your basis. Like y'all didn't want to, you know, your mom didn't want you to go to training on the weekends. I mean, 
your other kids have been like freaks training. So it's, it's, and some people are going to get left behind here, right? They will get left behind, but that's just in America. Other people in, in, were, that are in more pain around the world are looking at this option. Uh, and I think it's more meaningful to them as a tool of survival than it is to America's because we're quite spoiled here in the yeah, West. I think we're, we're disillusioned. We've got this mirage kind of keeping us or preventing us from seeing what's objectively happening on the world. Because as you said, we are privileged. We've inherited so much that, you know, there's a typical cycle, even Patrick, but David said it, uh, you know, the strong times, uh, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak men create hard times. And you go through these cycles all the time. And also, and right now, I think what it is, is really is you had a strong generation that produced a great time. And then it went to the next generation. And now we're millennials. And being the millennials, it's like, yo, guys, like we got to step it up or else we're the ones that are going to kind of allow everything to just fall apart. Well, we're also being, because uh, we're up in Canada here, we're, we're priced out of the housing market. You can't even afford a house right now unless you've got liquid cash so you can pay down a property. Like the only way that Nick and I can invest in real estate is either through, you know, Cardone Capital or like <laughs> any type of REIT that's out there. You know what I'm saying? We can't even go into the market right now. And that's, that's just and the here, nature of what's And here the last thing they want is housing prices to deflate because then they can't, that's the majority of the wealth in Canada. And if they if deflates, the government has no means to justify any of their spending anymore. So to them, they want this, they'll, they'll accept inflation, even if they say they want to fight it. They, to them, they want inflation. Well, I think you probably, um, you may look back and, and thank the government for pricing you out of the housing market. Mm -hmm. I, see, I, know, I get uh, the angle you're taking. Like, I do, should not own a home. I, I, I sh like, I, I'm on this phone call, I'm probably the only one that should own a home, but I shouldn't own one. Um, and I have rented before. Okay. Uh, it, there's just weird, like I prefer renting. Um, no one's ever walked into my front door. Now, before I come into your party, I need to know, do you own this home or do you rent it? Cause the, even if I own it, dude, I don't really own it unless I pay taxes. See Bitcoin. I own it, dude. You can't tax my ass. See you the fuck later. Like I am not paying maintenance for this and carry charges. So you look at that and you go, I think real estate is better. I mean, uh, Bitcoin is a better real estate play than uh, a, a wood building that can be torn down, burned down, taxed, uh, infested. Uh, I it, Like it, we have to get this thing out of our head that our parents sold us it was a bill of goods dude ha owning homes has been a way of flooding the market with debt I mean, it, it, there was never nobody had to do the home we could have been all renting it, it would have been fine but we sold the white picket fence when advertising came to new york and they stuck it on steroids we're a consumer economy okay if you if you think about us living in a matrix and there's certain players in this monopoly game. What is a consumer's job? The consumer's job, I would assume to consume, to produce, produce and consume, provide for the family. Nope. Consumer's job. You got it first, Nick. Okay. Consume, dude. Now think about it. When you just, the consumer's job is to consume. <laughs> 
not pay for, not afford to. We didn't put any qualities on it, not stay in good fiscal health. Consume at all costs. Producer's job, produce a product and make a margin. Not a good product necessarily, just make it, right? And scale it. And everywhere in between, everybody else take a little clip. So I think we have a matrix where the job of the consumer is literally to click the button. And if you know anything about ad spend and internet, and that's what really the payments business taught me, uh, these are junkies, okay? They are, no one is in control of what they're buying today. Absolutely have no choice in the decision-making on what they're consuming. They're being extremely targeted, psychologically profiled, and slammed and hammered into a funnel that is like uh, really uh, pretty devious. And I think that you, the blockchain piece takes this to where the, mer where the consumer is, again, walking back into the grocery store. The experience of walking into a store is very different than sitting and receiving ads as they're hitting you. So one is you're reacting, right? If you show me 10, 15 ads, I'm going to probably respond sooner or later. Uh, a, a human being walking into a grocery store, a very different level of responsibility than if they're reacting at the very tail end of a, you know, a buying experience. So it's, it's, to me, it's, it, it, it disrupts blockchain, disrupts education. Blockchain will disrupt all of this insanity that's been going on in the pharmaceuticals. Uh, it's going to help us medical viruses be able to track, you know, hey, if if you stick something in my body in a syringe, dude, I want it on I want it on the blockchain. I want to be able to read it. Okay, I want to exactly see it because like I'm pretty uncomfortable. I've been had 13 surgeries. I have never, ever walked into a hospital knowing that I, they were gonna cut on me and been worried about what the shit was inside the bowels. Now I'm like, I'm terrified, dude. Terrified to walk into a hospital, real, not real. I don't trust them anymore, okay? And if the doctors didn't know, they should have known. And if they should have known, they didn't know. And they, like, I, shame on you, dude. Like, I outsourced my health to you. Y'all did all these years. And uh, now, like, I didn't do the deal. But, but it's sad because I have friends that do the deal and I, I can't even talk to them about it anymore because then they're going to feel ashamed why they were just like, oh, yeah, I just took it. You know, you guys didn't have a choice. I mean, I'd um, sue the fuck out of your country, dude. I oh, would yeah, trust be you. so <laughs> angry. Okay. Off the record, we, 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 we paid for some papers to not take yeah, it. Yeah, so. I paid. I, I paid. My man. See, I, I wouldn't even do that, though. I said, I'm not going to. Now, you didn't have a choice, but what I did was. Yeah, here was extreme. I, here was. Uh, oh, oh, dude. Like, I lost so much respect for your country. Oh, we, we, we did, too. Uh, <laughs> we oh, every, every single one of us want to leave. We don't want to live here anymore. Yeah. We don't. We don't have a. Tr there's no more trust in this foundation of Canada. As a, like that. I, I'm you know, it's ironic. I'm slightly grateful or what happened because it was like, yo, like this was a real wake up call. Like we got to objectively see at an extreme level exactly what they are capable of and what they will do uh, as long as they justify your safety. Why? Because we've, we've delegated a responsibility of our own life and ourselves 
to someone else. And then they abuse that because then they'll say, well, we are here for your sake, for your safety. And we don't know everything. Look at taxes. Like here with the government controls everything. So because we delegate so much of a responsibility, individuals don't have a sense of of understanding of what the cost of anything is. Like you always talk about understanding supply and demand and make a price mechanism because right. we delegate so much through taxes that we don't understand what anything costs in society. Yeah, p- p- people just assume, oh, this is how it's supposed to be <laughs> and without them realizing that they're actually getting, you know, 14 inches of fucking lube shoved up there. <laughs> you know yeah. what? You know, so yep. uh, Chelsea, we 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 have as much disrespect as you have for this country. We probably have more. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, it's just you know, I, I mean, I I've done a lot of business with Canada, and I love Canadians, but like, I look at that guy. Uh, I think he's a total. He he he's turned his. Uh, look, they're not serving me, man. So I'm gonna vote with my wallet. It's the most. I, I need to do two things. I need to vote with my voice and my wallet. We all need to stop being so nice and so quiet and be okay with some people not liking us. We have become such a, uh, I need everybody to like me. Like, you know, uh, I'm okay with, with Visa not liking me. And, and if that means I don't get as much business, I mean, that becomes the question, right? Am I an ethical business person which means oh i'm gonna hold my tongue because i don't want visa to get upset with me because i do a lot of business with visa uh it's not cool like we we need to be you know you would never be scared of me the only reason i'm scared of them is they hold such a large position in the market they can actually hurt me so uh that that's the threat right and and um we should all be extremely angry, both sides of this, the vaccines and the non vaccine They should be so angry um, that that uh, this has happened. But like blockchain, like, like for instance, I think I could probably run for poli- uh, a political office today and win Senate or Congress on one platform. I'm going to take all of the accounting for my district and 30% of it's going to be on the public blockchain for you guys. You're paying the bill so you can see it. That's where we're going to start. We won't be able to take the CIA and the defense department, some of those things on the public blockchain, but we can do, we can start down the path and we can make our own activities more efficient because we're probably paying too much for pencils. This is what gets me the CBDCs that we never closed out. Like once you show someone how easy it is to use this tool, I think the CBDCs probably aren't going to be open on Saturdays and Sundays. They're not going to be able to settle like Bitcoin settles. I I bought a company on a Saturday afternoon, Bitcoin. Like I'm pretty sure CBDCs aren't going to do that. But once everybody gets an option, then if Bitcoin is, and this is what I tell the Maxis, hey, if Bitcoin is the mother load of all mothers and it's the bing de la bing, why do you care if they launch CBDCs, dude? You're just, people are going to have options. And the question will be, well, do I want to buy something from Canada that lied to me last year? Or do I want to buy something from Gary 
and maybe even somebody I don't even know, but it's self-custodied and I got a bank account next sitting next to my jewels. Right. Uh, I just think some portion of that, you only need one or 2%. One or 2% moves the whole needle. Uh, as long as the needle gets moved, greed will kick in the rest of it. And the government's claimed it as an asset class. So I see zero downside here. Dude. There's nothing anyone can do here. It's simply about time and the position size of a family. I think there's people in this space that are getting slaughtered because their position size is really, really wrong. And the desired outcome of what they're trying to do, they're trying to win a lottery ticket because they've heard so many people make so much money, you know, the $7 guy. Um, but where are they? Okay, where are they? Because I've never made money like like that. So I've got to hold it. Um, and, and it's an opportunity to educate everybody on how stupid the world is about finances, right? Like we, we have a tr true disservice by all our sovereigns of educating uh, North Americans or for that matter, anyone in Europe on how money really works. And I, I think this evolution is going to actually force people into it. They're, they're going to become very interested as the topic uh, broadens. Yeah, I think that's I, the key is at least to have, you know, and I, we've been, Nick, we've been harping on this for like four years. It's good to have like a one to 2% allocation. And again, this is not investment advice at all to the audience. This was but, always focused on the utility component rather exactly. than focus on pure price because price goes up and down. But the point is, if you're talking as a, as a point of utility, focus on the utility component of it. Let that discussion build because nobody wants to focus on it. Everybody's obsessed with just becoming rich off of something, but then you devalue its meaningful purpose. Correct. What's the utility behind Bitcoin? What is today. the utility? Yeah. Today. Today. I think, Nick, you're referring to the blockchain. Utility on Bitcoin is it's just an escape from oh, the, the yes, traditional I, system. I think that's, that's just what it is. I could be wrong, though. So my point was more in terms of how do we go about allowing Bitcoin to facilitate the communication between individuals or entities? So that for me was where should that, that should be the focus of our conversation. Because by making that clear, I become more comfortable in knowing that I'm willing to allocate more capital or allow that trust system to build because I understand why and how it's communicating. But very few people want to talk that. They just want to talk price action and price manipulation. Okay, cool, but um, it's not doesn't make me feel comfortable wanting to stay in it long term. So I appreciate more conversations like let's say with yourself, where it's not about where's price going, it's about what is the advantage of it, how can it be used, what purpose can it serve the individual and the connectivity of society. Well, I think right now the way I would look at this is I would if your allocation for you guys is one or two percent, I'd say you're grossly under allocated for your age substantially under allocated for your age. And I don't give people advice, but I'm just assuming you guys are single in thirties, late twenties, whatever. And you should be taking extreme risk. I'll tell you the other guy that should take extreme risk. <laughs> the, the old motherfucker. Okay. Because my downside, I was with Scaramucci one day and he's like, Hey man, you know, I got 714 Bitcoin. And you know, what do you think, dude, you think we're going to be okay? And I'm like, well, Anthony, this is the way I look at it. He loves me now because I told him this. I said, dude, if I'm wrong, my children grow up exactly like you and I did. 
with fucking nothing. If I'm right, they have a much bigger problem. A much bigger problem. Because you know what? I only know one person. And in fact, I don't even know him. I only know one guy that inherited money that didn't destroy him, his life with sex, drugs, and alcohol. Only one person. And, and like money ruins a lot of people. So when I told him that, he's like, dude, that's an awesome way to look at this. My, I think my allocation should be 80% and no very, real estate and, very, really, and liquidate all real estate, dude. Very, very outlierish too. And I just find that so I'm could, fucking right. I'm fucking contra- right too, bro. Could, could contrarian to like anybody, I think, within your age group. So that's fucking fascinating. Okay. And, okay. And here's another point on that. Do you see a symbiosis like um, relationship between gold and Bitcoin in any of that? Or do you see it as two entirely separate entities? going to suck all gold up, dude. <laughs> gold is a horrible product. I know because I have it. Okay. I bought three and a half million dollars worth of gold. Same time I bought Bitcoin at $8,000. And I didn't buy enough Bitcoin. It was a tiny, a hundred grand or so. Okay. Now it's easy to look back at that and go, well, well, you know, I could have, would have, should have. First off, if you're saying should do anything, like just get it out of your, there's so many things I have, I should have done. The only thing I should be doing is like right now, what I'm doing this second with you guys and having a decent experience. Uh, The rest of it doesn't really matter. But buying gold is one thing. Getting rid of the shit is a little difficult, okay? I called Kitco up and said, hey, I'm going to dump all $4 million back to you. I'm wanting to move it all into Bitcoin. Now, if Kitco would have just provided the damn service, it would have been a lot easier. To move $4 million back to Bitcoin, I didn't know that, oh, shit, they're only going to take like, you know, 30 ounces at a time or few few pounds and then they're like hey don't send us more than 200 grand because we don't want it to get lost so i gotta hire a fucking truck go all the way up to canada then they get to measure it and make sure it's the same shit they sent me i'm like bro it's in your damn i mean it's wrapped but i got it you got to go test it they got to go drill in it that's a week then they send me the money assuming it is the right goal they send me the money in a wire man and then I get it three days later, okay? Like two weeks later, like I want to kill myself. I finally get all the shit, just stick it in my damn car, drive down the store, go meet this pawn dealer, dump four million on them, right? And got a premium over what Kitco was going to give me anyway. They were rod dreaming. So I hate Kitco now. Fucking centralized middleman <laughs> well, taker, right? I, I, I've heard a lot of bad comments about them. So. Well, I, I, look, it was my only experience. And I told them, I said, hey, this service, dude, I... You're not going to like me being a customer because I'm going to tell everybody, like, this is not cool. Uh, I doubled. I paid I paid $11.60 for that goal, sold it at 18, 10 years. That's a shitty return, man, okay, for 10 years. But I kept my principal. And for a guy like me, like, I had a little there, a little there. I mean, you can't hit all alphas, right? I mean, you, that's why I said 20%. And the 20% so your people don't get crazy, why I think my allocation should be 80, because my 20% takes care of my whole life, my whole family, 
Like I'm not in trouble. I can pay my taxes. Okay. You have to think about it. And also said, Hey, I should sell my homes. Okay. So if you're not willing to get in that mindset, Oh wow. The guy also said, sell it. Like if, if you're, you have a mortgage and you're not buying Bitcoin cause you have a mortgage. I, I like, I would seriously look at that trade. That is a bad trade. And everybody's got it on. I own a home. I can't afford any more Bitcoin. Why the hell do you own a home, dude? Yeah. Well, I own a home because, you know, this is where me and my wife live and my kid grew up. I, okay, well, I have a job offer for you for $200,000 in St. Pete. It's going to change your entire fucking trajectory. Oh, I can't move to St. Pete, dude. You know, I own this home. Oh, really, dude? Your home's really, really important to you. You just, 200 grand a year. I just offered you 200 grand. So, and everybody that comes to work for me ends up walking away being a millionaire. So you're telling me that house is worth so much and your little kid that's six months old, they got to be next to their, their friends. I don't have any friends that, except my twin brother that I knew when I was six months old. People are making these kind of decisions. I cannot believe it, man. Grown men letting their wives go, we need to stay next to Sedona because the grandparents are there. And it's like, dude, your grandparents are 50. They're not 8,000 years old, okay? Y'all are 25. And, and you're missing, like, this is a mobile world now. You shouldn't own anything. If you believe my thesis and we will be a rental economy, fucking get out of that shit, right? And let a guy like Grant Cardone get super rich by just buying more and more and more homes in a black rock. Let him take all that risk, man. Cleaning it, maintaining it. Every time you have to go take care of your house, the driveway or the gate, you could have been having a conversation with me, dude. We could be making some fucking crazy moves. But instead, you're talking to the fucking lawnmower, man, about, you know, a $10 overcharge. Priorities, man. It's that, it's that. This, this. Quick, yeah, it's the mindset. It's the middle class mindset. That's unfortunately that, that, that's just dying. Uh, yeah. To to your point, and I think that's what this uh, again learn the the amount of learnings that I think are going to happen within the next two to three years is going to be inc like monumental. Like it's stuff that you're never going to learn in a fucking textbook at the end of the day, right? So yeah, it's opportunistic because to have a platform where you can kind of decentralize the information with the amount of things going on around the world with the tools that we have now today. You know, like I'm so appreciative that I have the access to these type of tools, like a phone or a computer while being able to observe everything going on, because the amount of information I have learned in the last three years alone of how the world works and the conversations I've had with people, thanks to Zoom and stuff like that, it, I would have paid so much money to do that. And I would have scratched university and every schooling I've done, thrown it out and just wasted money on, not wasted, spent money on just having beautiful conversations and just watching the world. It, it, and it's such timely to, to have this decentralized system because like it's only get more complex and dynamic that you're going to, if you can watch it and you spend time actually observing it, you're going to learn so much. Yeah, and it, that's it, right. You know, it's ironically, it's beautiful because it's, 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 it's the chaos is going to teach you a lot. Yeah. If you can stomach it, you know, yeah. It, yeah. if you don't, but that chaos has been great for me because I was never, uh, corporate guy so for me the chaos was well i'll do right, great man. here well if especially if i can light the chaos up uh, i mean i love starting the chaos but um mm -hmm. sometimes you don't have to start it you can just add gallons and gallons of gasoline to it 
<laughs> uh, and it's going to happen. I mean, it's it's too many of us, man. Yeah, just too many of us. And you're still early, so that's mm-hmm. the that's the other opportunity I think too in this. I, th- I think it's I think it's still early. Um, and, and the funny the funny thing is, and then we'll drop. But funny thing is, when the high net worth players come in, I I do not believe. Like when you do the allocation of these stats, okay, these are factual stats. Uh, you have four hundred thousand high net worth people, and go interview them. Okay, the next time you guys interview, just hey, off the record, man, you know what's your deployment? Call a banker friend of yours that works with a bunch of high wealth private bankers. Hey, man, how many people are asking you about Bitcoin? How many have deployed? Okay, uh, of the biggest guy. Is he the wealthiest guy? Or are you seeing a trend where the smallest net worth guy is actually investing more into that space, like the forward thinking guys or the old families really taking a long time with it? What is the allocation? They'll tell you. Um, and they're terrified. Dude, talk about people that are terrified. These bankers? Guy like me. Hey, man, I'm going to buy $15 million with Bitcoin. What can you do for me? Nothing. Yeah. You can go into... Well, dude, I know I can go into grayscale. Oh, you can? You can? Of course you're going to let me buy grayscale. They don't even know I can go into grayscale. Dude. Uh, what's MicroStrategy? Oh, I'm like, oh, my God, bro. Okay, like, this is going to leave a lot of people behind. Yep. A lot of people behind. Greatest transfer for your audience, okay? This is the greatest transfer of wealth and power in the last thousand years. It requires no prior requirements other than you have to be able to read and study and you need to probably get on a platform with some really smart people, which is a severe shortage in this industry, but it's growing. Uh, This is the, this is a digital revolution. I call it the digitization of planet earth. We will never go back to the eight track tape. It's not happening. Okay. Yeah, it's, done. it's done. And uh, we're not going to go back to having policemen sitting on the roads, writing tickets. Dude, this is going to happen through the machine. I just bought a car and they were like, hey, you want $10 off? You know, I said, what for? Well, life monitoring. Blah, blah. I said, no, I don't need you to monitor shit, dude. OK, well, what they wanted to do was hack into my fucking brain and every time the computer brain. And every time I went over the speed limit, changed my freaking insurance rates. Yeah. That's the world we're headed to. Like it or not, we are going there. Everything's going to be measured, tracked, traced, and accounted for uh, because it can be and it should be. Uh, We can fight it, but we're there. We are digitizing. It makes sense. And you can't have these two worlds live together. This is like having a horse and buggy in the middle of a superhighway in L.A. Okay, and you got a Ferrari trying to do 300 miles an hour. So this is, I know that no one wants to hear about, but like literally you cannot put the horse and buggy on the LA freeway, dude. You're going to cause a lot of wrecks. The writing's been on the wall and I think it's just starting, right? So this has been one of the more interesting episodes I think we've we've had for a very long time. Gary, uh, where can the listeners find you? At Gary Cardone. Uh, I think the same thing on LinkedIn. It's pretty easy to follow, find me, dude. If you can't find me, you're probably not meant to find me. Anti-fragile, right? Anti-fragile. Go there. through the pain and you'll be stronger the next day. There we go. 
Uh, but yeah, no, we're going to keep looking. Uh, I mean, look, we've been watching Bitcoin and, and the metal space very closely, but you know, lots of valuable insight here. And uh, what, what, what do you guys think silver could do? Could silver out farm gold? I still have like 27,000 ounces of silver. So look, well, yeah, one of these give, things. yeah we can yeah. get like the, the, like, so we talk a lot of people in the mining space and we've had, for example, the guy that wrote the, the great bull silver on, and he basically wrote like an encyclopedia on silver the thing is this, is one, you have falling reserve percentages. So typically in the past, you had much higher grade reserves than you do now. So now the people that are, when you're going exploring for silver, you're accepting much smaller reserves than in the past. So you need much larger reserve bases to kind of offset that. Then you have the electrification demand that's going to exponentially explode and cause a much, much larger uh, demand shock. And then you have the fact that a lot of these old reserves that are silver that are already producing, a lot of them are coming near their end of their cycle. So as that's happening... You know, you have a lot of these converging. And then if you take more of a technical perspective, it's already hit $50 twice. Plus Bitcoin miners, they probably need a lot of silver. Mm -hmm. The whole facilities. So, so I, 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 I think I think if gold breaks above 2200 and, you know, silver will follow suit. Usually there's always that volatility index, right? Again, it's not a violent asset, as you said, but... Mm -hmm. Um, and typically, yeah. it's much more volatile silver. I, I, I think silver. I think silver goes higher with gold once we break that twenty two hundred threshold. It and probably doesn't other, go back then. Yeah, exactly. And then my other little thing is, if you take if you take like silver and you say, well, silver's Robin and gold is Batman. Yeah. The old frame. You know, Robin has a lot of gro growing in room, uh, like room to grow in. And so, if people are going to start getting more into, let's say precious metals and they're going to buy gold or silver, I feel a lot more people can only really afford more of the silver than gold. And from a psychological standpoint, I'd rather own a one ounce or a 10 ounce than own fractions of grams of a one ounce gold. Yeah. So I feel people like a lot of people that I know that are starting to buy gold or silver, a lot of them tend to buy more silver because they feel more secure in knowing that they can buy more large quantities and they could buy whole quantities rather than little tiny fractions. So, yeah. so I think that there is a, there's a good thesis being made for silver. Yeah, I, I, I like the, uh, hey, you got to have more use case for silver as we get more technical. Exactly. Um, it's funny, it's, I, I held on to the silver and dumped the gold because I, I just think mm -hmm. you'll get a pop. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's nasty stuff, dude. I mean, I'm looking at it going, well, it's $700,000 worth of damn silver. Let's see, how many Bitcoin is that? <laughs> See, because that's really like you. Okay, I might get it to fifty, but dude, if silver goes to fifty, what's Bitcoin doing? Yeah, exactly. And it would be really cool if you see a type of rotation where, <laughs> typically in the past, you would have let's say markets would collapse, gold would rise, then you would sell out of gold and then kind of buy the at the rotation. bottom of the cycle. So let's say, for example, Bitcoin continues to go down, you get an explosion in silver or gold. Perfect. Let's sell out. Let's rotate out and let's go buy at the bottom of the of the Bitcoin. Let's run that new cycle now. Cool. So, hey guys, great fun. to meet you guys. Okay, really enjoyed it. Fun times. Um, yeah, Gary, nice. I appreciate it a lot. Dude. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on, man. And let's uh, let's keep in touch as we continue to roll through this madness. Cool, dude. Let's and let's Gary, have a blast doing it. Gary, one last question for you. I write a lot of uh, behavioral economic theory. I wrote a book on behavioral economics, and I want to know if I could share it with. You. I know you have a because you studied economics and philosophy. So um, please, if, uh, love to. So if the, I'll send an email to well, your uh, to your assistant and she'll send me a place to send a copy. Yeah, yeah. That'd be awesome, cool. dude. I love a physical book. I still like okay. physical books. No, exactly. I'd rather share my physical yeah. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Thank, thank you. you. Make sure you sign it for me, okay? <laughs> okay. All right. Gary, thanks so much. See you Take care.
And we'll see you next time, guys, on the New Gen Mindset Podcast. Bye, guys.